you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah, the book. While you're turning there, remind you that as a church, we pray for one thing at one o'clock uh, for one minute every day. And this week, I want to encourage you uh, for this pray one, 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 I encourage you to pray for that one minute, thanking God for one thing. Just every day, Pray with gratitude in your heart over what God has done for you, for your family, for our church, uh, for our communities. Uh, If you're looking for something to thank God about, I invite you to start with the Psalms and pick Psalm 100 and just read that Psalm and, and begin to thank God as the psalmist does. But for one minute every day, will you take the time and thank God? And I promise you, it will change your perspective. It'll change your perspective about your life, about your circumstance. It'll change your perspective about yourself. It will change your perspective uh, about uh, pretty much everything. Gratitude to God over the great things he has done. And it's like fuel to our soul. And it enlivens us. Well, as you turn to Nehemiah, uh, at Trunk or Treat a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I dressed up as the greatest showman. Uh, I was the guy, I didn't bring my top hat, but I was the guy, the greatest showman. My wife was the wife of the greatest showman, and, uh, and it was great. And uh, this past week, uh, we had some precious, two precious little girls uh, who came, and they were at the trunk or treat at Volvo, uh, at First Norfolk on Volvo, and Uh, they came up and they said, you are the greatest showman. You are the greatest showman. You are the greatest showman. Well, I thought, well, that's awesome. I like that. Uh, And uh, and I had made a commitment to our students uh, at Trunk or Treat. They were there, and they said, you won't wear that red jacket at church. And I said, well, of course I will. I'm the greatest showman. No, I said, of course I would. Not a problem. It's not a problem. And it fits. The Greatest Showman is a, is a, a character, a, a musical that's based off of P.T. Barnum. It's, it's based off this, this visionary man who determines to bring together uh, really a, 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 a band of misfits and be entertainers. And the story runs as long as uh, The Greatest Showman... Uh, Hugh Jackman's character, as long as he is faithful to the vision, the real vision, and faithful to the team that was accomplishing that vision, and faithful to his family, then uh, they, they had great success. But the minute he got his eyes off of that faithfulness, everything began to fall apart. Well, as we look today at the book of Nehemiah, we're looking at a guy Uh, named Nehemiah, whom God had brought to the foreground of history at that point. He was a cupbearer in uh, Artaxerxes' court. And Artaxerxes was, again, the most powerful man of the world at that time. Nehemiah was a Hebrew, a Jewish person, uh, who had his family had been sent into exile. And even though many or most of those who were in exile were returned to Judah. Uh, Remember last week we looked at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, They were in exile from Judah. Now, by Nehemiah's time, several years later, all those who were in exile had been sent back to Judah. But Nehemiah was still uh, in that foreign land, but he was a faithful follower of God. 
And as he receives word about the disrepair of God's people and of the wall uh, that surrounds Jerusalem, uh, he sensed God's call, vision, to something different. Now, when you think of the book of Nehemiah, what is it that you think of? The wall, yeah. Most of us, we think of the wall. That's what Nehemiah is about, but that would be wrong. Nehemiah is not about building a wall, but rather it is Nehemiah through God building a wall, yes, but more importantly, God through Nehemiah building up his people. As we look at the book of Nehemiah, my prayer is that you and I would begin to see again the power of faithfulness to God. And Nehemiah was a man who was living a good life in a different place, but when he sensed that God had something greater for him, maybe less money, less prestige, less prosperity, more difficulty, but when he sensed that God had something greater for him, more importantly, when he sensed that he could be a part of something greater for God and his people, he determined the path of faithfulness was the best path to take. My prayer for us today is that we would uh, see ourselves in this story of Nehemiah, returning to Jerusalem on assignment, not from Artaxerxes the king, but from God himself, to rally the people together to accomplish God's purpose so that, yes, there would be a wall built, but more importantly, God would build his saints through Nehemiah. My prayer is that we would see ourselves in this story that God, through the power of his grace, would unleash in us a faithfulness to him. You see, and that really is one of the secret ingredients to a satisfied life, one of the secret ingredients to a joyful life, one of the secret ingredients to a, 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 a celebrative life is our faithfulness to God. I, I don't think we should ever underestimate the power of faithfulness to God, even in the details of our life. You see, the story of Nehemiah is a story of setbacks and summits. It's a story of of despair and delight. It's a story of difficulty and victory. It's a story of all those things, but more importantly, most importantly, it's a story of God and His great grace for His own glory, using His people and their faithfulness to grow them up and to accomplish something greater. The same thing's true for us as a church. Make no mistake, faithfulness is something God desires from us. Church is not about bricks and mortar. It's not about uh, the building in which we live. It's not about a wall to be built. Church is about God's people living faithfully to God for Him, for His glory. And that's what God desires for you and me. That's, that's, That's secret sauce to life. I want you to know it's secret sauce to marriage. It's secret sauce to parenting. It's secret sauce to life in this church. It's, it's not me getting what I want in my relationships. It's not me getting what I want in my job. It's not me getting what I want even in my church. But it, it's me being found faithful to God, regardless of what comes my way. 
That's what Nehemiah teaches us. And God in his grace is unleashing us to be faithful to him. Uh, as, as we join Nehemiah on this journey, uh, which is a picture of, of, of the church, uh, a journey of faithfulness, I pray that you and I would see that God's grace is working today. And it's working in your life and mine so that we would be found faithful. I, I don't apologize for this topic because this is really uh, a thread that runs through the fabric of every aspect of the story of God's rescuing love. It's the covenant that he makes with his people, with you and me. You, you and I, we come here today, and most of us, if not a uh, vast majority of us, we have been rescued by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Our sin has been covered by the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus the King. You know, we, we have been rescued. We have been brought into the family of faith by the grace of God. That's good news. But when we entered into that relationship, it wasn't us merely receiving salvation. It was us also committing ourselves to the living God, to live faithfully to Him. Are you being faithful to God? Well, God's honor is what uh, calls us to this faithfulness. It's God's honor. You see, I, I think everybody here wants to honor the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, you want to honor God the same way that, that uh, when we uh, have uh, troops that uh, have been uh, deployed and they come back, we gather together and, and they uh, enter into the port and when they come, we want to celebrate them, we want to honor them, we want to cheer for them. Uh, they're worthy of honor. The same thing that happens when uh, when a dignitary walks into the room or, or, or someone of, of some level of importance or at least who holds a position of importance, when they walk into the room, we stand, we, we honor them. How much more so the God of the universe demands respect from us and that respect looks a lot like being faithful to him. Nehemiah uh, heard of the, of the wall and its disrepair, but what really broke his heart in chapter 1 was it, it was more than just a wall in disrepair. I want you to look in Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. It says, So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And I mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and steadfast love with those who love and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, Confess the sins of the children of Israel, both uh, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. Go down to verse 10. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. 
And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, the king, Artaxerxes, for I was the king's cupbearer. As we listen to this prayer, we need to understand that, that, that Nehemiah's heartbreak wasn't merely about the disrepair of Jerusalem. It was about the disrepair in Israel's relationship with God. What broke his heart more than a wall being broken down was the broken down walls of covenant between God and his people. Not because God had done anything wrong, but because God's people had sinned. And so he then says, let's return to faithfulness for God's honor. Verse 11 says, those who desire to fear your name. That's each, every one of us who are followers of Christ. We want to fear the name of the Lord. That's what we want to do. That's what it means to honor him, to respect him, uh, to live a lifestyle of loving him. We want to fear his name, to honor him with our life. So today, as we look at God's honor, let's live in faithfulness for his honor. Are you honoring the king by a life of faithfulness? Faithfulness, another word, obedience. Another word, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another word, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. To fear the Lord means to live your life His way. It's it's the question that Nehemiah asked in chapter 5, verse 9. He said, should we not walk in the fear of our God? Should we not live our lives in the fear of the Lord, adjusting everything about us to fit everything that our God desires? My prayer is that you and I would return to a passionate pursuit of faithfulness to the Lord, that we as a church, not just we individually, but we as a church would return to a faithfulness to God. We are His, and He is ours if we have tasted this glorious grace that Jesus has provided us. God's honor calls us to faithfulness, but really faithfulness is excited in us. Our faithfulness to God is excited in us because God has been faithful to us. As Nehemiah petitions the great and awesome God, He reminds the Lord that these people belong to him and these people are his possession. Look again in chapter 1, verse 10. Nehemiah says, These are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Can can you hear that? The gospel in this, the good news, the good news that we've received. These are your servants. These are your people. That is possession. These people belong to the living God because they had been rescued by the living God. The children of Israel belonged to the living God. They had entered into covenant relationship with the living God. You and I are here and we belong to the living God. Because he has redeemed us. He has rescued us. He has purchased us off the chopping block of sin. When we were still without without strength, in due time, 
Jesus has died for us, the ungodly. When we were still at enmity with him, separated by him, by, from him, by our sin, God sent Jesus to rescue us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And when we repented our sin and placed our trust in Jesus as our only hope, God purchased us and set us free. The shame and cell of our sin no longer has dominion or rule over us for we no longer live under sin, but now we live by God's grace. Oh, how great our God is who has loved us with an everlasting love that we who were sinners and separated and unworthy of his family sent Jesus from heaven's throne to die a sinner's death on our behalf. He purchased us. Oh, how God has been faithful to us. And how Jesus remains faithful like a father hearing the cry of his son or daughter stuck in a place of no escape. God still is offering us hope for rescue. To give us hope for a better today and a brighter tomorrow. To give us protection in the tough terrain of daily circumstance. This is Jesus who is continually drawing us toward himself, who has planted his spirit within us so that we can live in intimacy with the living God. Oh, what great things our God has done for us. How can we be anything less than faithful to him? Faithful. When it's easy and when it's hard, faithful. When it's dark and when it's light, faithful. When everyone's watching and when no one's watching, faithful. What inspires our faithfulness to God is how he has been faithful to us. Listen to Nehemiah's question again in chapter 5, verse 9. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Should we not live our lives in the fear of the Lord, adjusting everything about us to fit all that he desires? Faithfulness. Oh, God's honor calls us to it. God's faithfulness inspires it. But I also want us to see how that we live in faithfulness to God as those whom he has rescued as his people. But faithfulness is not merely the leader's task. Faithfulness is everyone's job. Faithfulness is everyone's job. Many of you are here today and you're part of this family of faith called First Norfolk. God brought you here and he's planted you here so that together we might be faithful and fulfill his purposes in Hampton Roads and around the world. Faithfulness doesn't just belong to the pastors or the life group leaders or the deacons. Faithfulness is the responsibility of each one of us. How many of y'all like NASCAR? NASCAR. You're a NASCAR person. Y'all are as fanatical as a fly fisherman. 
That's what I am, a fly fisherman. NASCAR people, people just love NASCAR and they watch it, go to Bristol or, or go down to North Carolina and just watch NASCAR. Now, what always amazes me about NASCAR is the pit. That's where uh, the car's been running around the track and, and then comes into the pit, its little section. And in about the same amount of time that I can open the door to my car, sit in the seat, buckle the seat belt, and adjust the radio station, the pit crew has changed four tires, filled the, gas, uh, filled the tank with gas, wiped window shields, and has made m- any adjustments to the car. They move with such speed. It's amazing to me how quickly they get them in and get them out. It's an amazing thing. Well, why do, how can they do that? Because every person on the pit crew is faithful to the assignment that they've been given. That's what we find in the church. That's what we hear from Nehemiah at the wall. Uh, they, they, in chapter 2, Nehemiah surveys the wall and the disrepair, and he brings everybody together, and he calls them to arise and build. Listen to chapter 2, beginning of verse 18, and then verse 20. He says, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So the people said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. Down verse 20. And I answered them, and I said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Nehemiah declared that God would bring victory and completion of the task through the faithfulness of his people. Chapter 3 is a, a list of everybody and the job that they got together, the people, the pit crew, getting together to build the wall. Faithfulness did not just belong to Nehemiah. It belonged to every person who was in Jerusalem who was a faithful follower of God. Friends, this church rises and falls not on merely on the faithfulness of its leaders, but on the faithfulness of its people. This church becomes as God wants it to be, not because of one single person, but because of the people. All of us together, joined together by the Spirit of God as one body, as as one people. The bride that that God has brought together to call us here in this local expression of the church, First Norfolk. He's brought you here. He's brought us here. He's united our hearts together by his spirit so that together we might faithfully pursue his desires. Listen again to the question that Nehemiah asks. Should we not... Walk in the fear of our God. Should we not live our lives in the fear of the Lord, adjusting everything about us to fit all that He is? Faithfulness is a function of relationship. And if your faithfulness is fragile, it's because your relationship is out of whack. Faithfulness is everyone's job. And faithfulness is something that God calls us to as the church, 
created by him, and in the face of the obstacles that come our way. We don't look at the obstacles, we look at God's greatness. See, here today you can look at a lot of reasons why you would not be faithful to God through the church. You can find a dozen reasons why faithfulness is too painful to bear. Today, I'm going to invite all of us to bring our tithes and offerings as a response of faithfulness to God. And we've talked about this harvest day for several weeks now. And and if you're like my family, we immediately, as we began to pray, God, what would you have us give at harvest day? We immediately began to see the obstacles. Well, this bill is going to come due, and that bill is going to come due, and this is going to happen, and that is going to happen. And we've got tuition, and we've got tuition, and we've got tuition, and we've got tuition. All the reasons. Nehemiah faced those type of obstacles. They, they weren't bill collectors. They were nobles in the land who were not really passionate about God, didn't really care that much about God. And these nobles, these leaders had risen up and, and they had opposed the rebuilding of the wall. They had opposed what God had given them to do. Finally, Nehemiah responds and Chapter 4, verse 14, he said, And I looked and arose, and I said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Faithfulness looks to God's greatness, not the obstacles in our path. When enemies plot and attack, We look not to the power of the enemy, but rather we look to the power, the greatness, the majesty, the glory of the living God that we serve. The antidote to fearfulness that would keep us from faithfulness is God's greatness. Do not be afraid, God says. Remember the great and awesome God. So when you're facing a choice of being faithful or unfaithful and fearfulness gets in the way of your faithfulness, stop meditating on the reasons for your fear and start focusing on the God who has rescued you, the God who is faithful to you, the God who deserves your honor, the God who created the heavens and the earth. This is the God who commits himself to you. When we are faithful to God, he will give us the ability and the victory. But we must be faithful to God. And in our faithfulness, we hear the question once again, should you not walk in the fear of our God? Should we not live our lives in the fear of the Lord, adjusting everything about us to fit all that he desires. That means that we, in faithfulness, must remove everything that dims God's glory in us and through us. I'm a coffee drinker. I love coffee. And uh, the best kind of coffee that I like 
is French press. I think that has the best, gets the best flavor out of the coffee beans. I think it's, see, I'm a snoot, I'm a snob. It, I love French press coffee. Now, French press coffee, uh, you can make it at home. You've got to have the, the beans ground up, and then, and then you measure them out, and you put them in the French press, a little container, and, and you, you put the, the grounds in there, you measure them out, and then you take a, a, a pot of water, and you put it in a kettle, and you boil that water. And when that water comes to a boil, boil and depending on what kind of snoot you are, you can actually measure the temperature and at the right temperature you can put it in but 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 it's got to be hot enough to boil and and you take that uh, that boiling hot water and you pour it into uh, the French press and then you put the lid on and you press all the grounds down to the bottom and you let it seep for a little bit and then you take that and you pour it in your cup and you don't put any kind of ugly stuff in there like sugar or cream you just take it the way it is and Enjoy a great cup of coffee. But it doesn't work if the water is lukewarm. If the water's lukewarm, it makes a terrible cup of coffee. The, the beans don't seep. Uh, the, the water's not that rich, dark color. It's kind of a light color. It looks like just dirty water. If the water's lukewarm, everything's ruined about the cup of, cup of coffee. Now, can I tell you something else? As a follower of Jesus, God says, if you're lukewarm, you're kind of disgusting. I, I, I hate to say it like that, but that's how Revelation talks about it. When he's talking to the church that's lukewarm, what that means is they've lost their passion for faithfulness to God. They've lost the pursuit of that passionate faithfulness to God. They've decided that they can be lukewarm in faithfulness. Here's what that looks like. Lukewarm in faithfulness means that I'll be faithful in this, but not that. I'll be faithful here, but not there. I'll be faithful when it's easy, but I won't be faithful when it's hard. That is lukewarm. And friends, I'm afraid that's what defines so many of us today. And I'm afraid that's what defines so much of our church life here and around the world. Is that we're lukewarm. When things get hard, our faithfulness stops. When Nehemiah comes back around to the children of Israel, and he sees them where they are. He leads them to revival. Uh, in chapter 9, we hear him leading the children of Israel to revival and, 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 and leading them to revival. He rehearses the glorious goodness of a living God who has rescued them. He tells them uh, how God has been faithful. He reminds them the good news of his rescuing love. Much of what we do here today when we gather together, reminding ourselves of how Jesus has rescued us and we owe him all that we are. What really leads to revival, a revival of faithfulness to God, is first they read the word of God. They open up God's word. They hear God's word. That leads to number two, a confession of their sin against God. As we read God's word, as we devote ourselves to hear and to understand God's word, we begin to see how that our life does not fit God's desire. And can I tell you, anytime, anywhere, my life, your life, our lives don't fit God's desires, that is a sin. And that sin must be confessed and turned away from. What leads to a passion and a return to faithfulness and passionate pursuit 
of faithfulness to God is when we read and understand God's word, when we confess our sin, when we acknowledge God's greatness and his love and his mercy, and when we declare our commitment to faithfulness to him again. That's what Nehemiah does in verse 36 of chapter 9. He says, here we are, servants today. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in your land. Here we are, servants of the Most High God, brought into the family through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Not our merits, not our work, not our religious devotion. We are part of God's family. We are part of of God's beloved family. Only because Jesus himself died for our sin on a cross and we saw our need for him in the bankruptcy of our soul, we've been rescued by God's grace. And we were faithful to God, but somewhere we got off the boil and we became lukewarm. And we decided that our passion for God could be more restrained, less bubbly, Less boily. And as we hear God's word, we confess our sin and we acknowledge his greatness and we declare again, here I am, Lord, your servant, rescued by your grace. Again, Nehemiah's question, should we not walk in the fear of the Lord? Should we not live our lives In the fear of the Lord, adjusting everything about us to all that he is. Faithfulness means that we will read God's word, confess our sin, acknowledge his greatness, embrace a lifestyle of loving him, adjust our lives to fit his desire, even when that desire includes our money. And oh, it does. A lifestyle of loving God is revealed not only in the story of the New Testament. It talks about being faithful and generous, bringing our tithes and offerings to the Lord. But here, Nehemiah leads the children of Israel back to white-hot faithfulness for God. In Nehemiah chapter 12, look at verses 43 and 44. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. What is the main theme of verse 43? Let me read it again. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. What's the theme of that verse? Joy, rejoicing. They were celebrating. Verse 44. And at the same time, There were those appointed over the rooms of the storehouse 
for the receiving of the offering, the first fruit and the tithes, to gather them into the fields of the cities, uh, the portions specified by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. The picture is really clear. When we are committed to be faithful to the Lord, we rejoice. And in our rejoicing, at the same time, we bring our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. This is a mark of our faithfulness.